Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs. I'm a designer and I'm also a design educator. I teach at the University of South Alabama. And today we have Noah Scalen. He's a repeat guest, thankfully. He uh, talked to us back in the summer and he is an author, a designer. Um, he's a socially conscious designer for sure. And he's the founder of a socially conscious design firm called Another Limited Rebellion. He's an activist. He started in a stroller, he roller skated, and he's continued through tons of different ways. He also teaches adjunct and he teaches a class called Design Rebels at Virginia Commonwealth University. So without further further ado, I'm gonna introduce Noah Scalen. So Noah, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm real excited to have you on again. Um, and if you don't know, he's written multiple books, but today we're really gonna be talking about this one in particular, the Design Activist Handbook. And if you're new to Spreecast, um, we're gonna, there's a couple of ways you can actually ask questions over to the side next to Noah. And there's a, Noah, there's a chat. And then underneath, there's a button called Submit Questions. And then I can pull those questions on. And then this is gonna be how some of the visuals are gonna work. I'm gonna add something to the screen. And you can actually click in the middle and then scoot it over one way or the other. You can cover over me if you still wanna see Noah talk. And then I'll pull it off the, the screen, but that way you kind of understand how the Spreecast works if you're new to Spreecast. But it's very interactive. If you have a question, please feel free to ask away and, um, and that's how it works. So we're gonna start. So Noah, this book came out and I actually saw you do a online through how I believe, um, like a book signing or whatever, which was really cool and I was glad. And you, it, people can, I guess, still access it so yep. but if you haven't why if people don't know what I mean your other books are unstuck and it had a lot to do with creativity and when you get stuck in 365 which I love both of these books thank you but this is really a different kind of um, vein can you talk about why you decided to do something so different yeah, well, it's funny because that book was actually meant to come out way before all the other ones. It's uh, it's something that's been on my mind for a long time. Um, I started doing what I call socially conscious design back in uh, kind of the late 90s, mid to late 90s, when I started working as a freelancer and full-time graphic designer out of college. And um, and once I sort of developed you know, the idea for myself about working from an ethical perspective, I was really... Uh, always interested in sharing it and connecting with other people. And uh, and then in 2002, uh, 2003, I started working on this book. <laughs> so it took a while for it to get finished. But um, but it really started, this book specifically started when I started teaching my class Design Rebels and realizing that, you know, it's one thing to reach a bunch of students, which I love doing, but I wanted to even spread the message further and a book seemed the right way to do it. Um, but it just took a while to find a good partner to write it with and a good publisher to put it out. And then, of course, publishing takes a long time. So, um, but but this book, I mean, all of the books I do are related in that they're all about sort of trying to find ways to help people um, do what they're passionate about, do good in the world, make a difference uh, in a variety of ways. So this one is definitely more specifically about graphic design since that's what I've spent a lot of my career doing. When I also like you, you know, the other books, you can actually, I mean, I don't write mine because I don't want them to be messed up, but, um, but you can, you know, there, there's spots to write in. And even in this book, which is more 
traditional, a read, um, like you can open the other books up and just be like, okay, well, we're going to do something about, you know, whatever today. This is, you know, more kind of a traditional read, but you still have pages like this. And I think we have um, something like this um, that I pulled on. And you can actually click it and drag it over to the chat or something uh, so it's not in front of Noah's face if you're new. Um, but can you talk about why the, because obviously this is important to you because you have it in all of your books. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about, I mean, I think these days, especially with the popularity of digital publishing, there's a big question mark about like, why do we need books anymore? I mean, why do we need physical objects? And I know, I mean, a lot of people like to read on a Kindle or another device. And I, I'm, I mean, personally a fan of physical books, but I really feel like if I'm going to go through the effort of making something physical, that there needs to be a reason exists in, in, in real life. And so for me, I also think it's super important to write things down because I, I, there's a big difference between kind of having ideas about how you're going to do things and, and make things happen. And there's, there's, it's a huge difference when you write it down because you have to be really specific and clear about what you're choosing to do. Even if you ramble in your writing, there's a big difference in sort of the vagueness of what's in your head. Um, and so I'm really adamant about people doing that. So it's sort of this combination of the fact that like, if there's going to be a physical book, let's make it have a reason to be physical and let's have you engage with it. This isn't something just to read. This is something to do. And so if I can help you do that by giving you a space to write, to journal, to return to it, to keep using it as a functional object, um, that's all the better. And, and I'm a big advocate that when you do write things down, they're much more likely to manifest. I mean, you just, I, I found that with myself over and over that, that just the difference, and it seems so silly, like, oh, writing it down, but I know what I'm thinking, but it's hugely different when you are clear and write it down that this is what I'm doing. Cool. cool. I, I think that's great. So you said you started teaching Design Rebels, and I think it was 2003 when you started, and then you that's when you started writing the book, so, or coming up. It's an awesome book, by the way. If you guys haven't got it, I have links. You'll be able to get it. I have links to all of his books. Um, but it, I, I, I even dreamt about it. Like I was going over it again, um, preparing for this and I was having dreams about it, but it's really, really well written. And I know you wrote it with Michelle, um, Howdy. I don't know how to say her last name, but Howdy. Is that what she said? Howdy. So can you talk about that? How that, cause that was kind of a different process maybe from your other books. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, um, I'm so close to this topic, and I, as, as you mentioned, I've been an activist my whole life, and it's really hard to sort of, when something's so big and all-consuming, to, to sort of parse it out in a way I think that the rest of the world can understand. At a certain point, you're just too deep, and I felt like this was a topic where it was just, I didn't even know where to start, and, um, and so part of the reason it took so long is that I'd been casting about how am I going to make this book happen, and Michelle interviewed me for a magazine article about socially conscious design. And at the end, we just hit it off. And at the end, I said, would you be interested in writing a book with me? And she's like, yeah, sure. I don't know anything about this. And I thought, that's great, because it'll give me a chance to have to explain it to someone. And then she'll be able to write about it in a way that other people can understand. And so the book was written mostly by her interviewing me over all the topics. We worked together to develop the, um, the, 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 the outline of the book. And then I wrote some specific chunks of it that were articles I wanted to write, and we found interviews with people, and she's a great interviewer, so she could do that. And then the body of each chapter, she really, you know, interviewed me, took what I said and synthesized it down to some really concise 
thoughts and, and, and actionable steps and then send it back to me to edit. And it worked great. I, I think she writes in such a great um, accessible populist tone that it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And, and, and it's funny because whenever I do these things, I always feel bad that she's not here, but she's like, I don't, I don't need to go talk about this book. She's like, I helped you write it, but you know, the content ultimately is about a subject I'm, I'm passionate about, but, but yeah, it meant the world that, uh, to me that she helped me. And I think the book just would not exist certainly, and certainly not be as good if she had not been, um, the, the, my co-writer on it. So you had a lot of graphics that you did, um, and I'm not sure if you did them specifically for the um, the book or not. I'm going to add one to the screen, um, this one, which I think is such a strong uh, image. And you know, VCU is really good about honing it down to just these bare kind of minimums, and can it's very can be very powerful. And and you talk about how you know being an activist was really something you were part. It was ingrained in you your parents and your mom and you know it was something that was just such a part of your life that and really what we do in history and all of this is in the book i'm just kind of paraphrasing um is that we end up selling stuff or making stuff to sell stuff to people that they don't really need uh, money they don't have things like that so you know it can be this really you know and later in i don't know what chapter this is but you talk about um sheila sampath who was a designer um, in Toronto, and she's talking about she would work corporate by day, and she would come home and work again just to satisfy her conscience. And I think, you know, there's so much. Can, can you just talk about your history with being an activist, kind of? Sure. So, I mean, as you sort of touched on, growing up, my mom would bring me to protest uh, marches um, first, she literally, you know, pushed me in a stroller. But then, as I was getting older, I have, you know, very clear memory of of marching for e the Equal Rights Amendment um, on wearing roller skates and and you know being a kid and being like, oh, you know, this is how you do things. It, it, the world is not the way you want it to be. You have to speak up and act out and change it. And I didn't realize a that everybody wasn't raised that way, but b that like that was an issue once you what you know once i was in college and i was definitely still an activist and then when i was going to get out into the working world everybody just assumes well well now you're done with that phase like you're going to stop being an activist and you're going to get to work and you can't have those go together and i was like whoa 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 no that's not possible i've got to make a living that meshes with this ethical principles that, that i've that i've been raised with but because there wasn't a formula for that i had to make that up and so my company became um, another limited rebellion was my attempt to sort of merge that with the fact that I just happened to like doing graphic design. And so how I was, was I going to do that from an ethical perspective? So, you know, it was like making it up as I go and then discovering, especially as the internet became more of a viable tool, that other people were out there doing this and connecting and sort of growing uh, down that, that, you know, the ability to be a socially conscious designer and sort of connect with a larger community. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that the thing about being an activist for me was just that that I had to do it. I had, I just didn't have a choice. And so just, I, I happen to be a graphic designer. I think I have to make clear, you know, I, I, I'm never advocating like, you know, if you have to pick a career in this world and you want to make the world a better place, try graphic design. You know, I mean, it's not that, it's just that I'm going to do it anyway. So how can I do it in a good way? But I hope everyone does that with whatever job they like. And also with whatever ethics they have, I'm also not looking to I mean, as much as I'd like everyone to have my set of ethics, I'm more interested in people just living from an ethical perspective, because I think if people um, 
did did that, regardless of what they believe, I think generally it would be a better world. I have to I have to believe at a certain level, like you know, if things were driven by ethics rather than by money um, as the as the primary goal, you know, we we'd benefit from it. Definitely. So, and one thing that's continually in the book, it aren't you don't have to be this huge thing making a difference. You can just do something that would maybe be something small in your community or just simple things, yeah. but it's just some choices you make. And I think that that's one thing that's really nice. It's not like, because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I have to t t tackle this really big issue or I have to, you know, stand up for something that's going to, I have to go to Washington or I have to do something. And it's not always like that. Sometimes it's just something small, um, you know, that you, whatever it is that you believe in, it's just this continual thing that you are always trying to educate or get people to change whatever for us as designers that's what we do but anybody can do it in any field for sure uh, yeah I well with this image oh go ahead okay i was just gonna say i, I absolutely agree if, if it's not if it's presented as a big thing that you have to get perfect and do you know like do right right from the beginning it's so overwhelming and huge people give up and i really i want activism to be something that seems viable um certainly some people are going to do you know much bigger, more aggressive things and could devote more of their lives to it, but doesn't mean you can't make a difference with whatever actions and time and money you have uh, available to you. You can do it um, and it adds up. It's all the little things that build up to the bigger changes. Um, and I really don't want people to get discouraged. And so the book is very much meant to be a populist thing. A very much a, everybody can do this at some level, regardless of where you are. I don't want people to feel bad or guilty that they haven't done it as much or enough. It's just, I've seen that with other activist groups, uh, with certain activist groups who really just um, make people feel bad for not being perfect, and, and you, you're never going to be. So you know, let go of that now, and and just do the do the work that you can do. You know, affect the world, the pieces of the world you can affect. That's what you should focus on. Seth Godin, so, a guy I follow, he always talks about a lot of it's just fear of getting started. But even if you affect one person, one person is different than what it was the day before. So just Absolutely. start just and you know you really have that kind of in in your 365 and your it's just about getting started just it's not going to be perfect and i think that you know we talked about that last time with the 365 um and just being unstuck that you could you said one of the things i was like oh my gosh one every day and you said well this was a limit you know i had to have a limitation but i also wanted to challenge myself and you know you get through the bad you know the typical ideas in the very beginning and then it pushes you and it makes you a better person and you've actually had more work come out of that and you actually talk about that in a book where people did some poster designs and they were a little too they presented them to these uh, groups and maybe they were a little too in their face but then they ended up getting work from those groups later so all those things can add up just because you put time into it right now and you didn't get immediate result doesn't mean that they're not going to come back to you they know you're passionate about as a, as a designer. Something like, I mean, it's a it's a really great book. I really have really enjoyed this. I'm tr I try not to go through every page and you know you know post it, note it. But I was I have so many things underlined and written because I do write in them. I just don't want to write in the blank spots for some reason. <laughs> you write where you're not supposed to write. I like that. <laughs> right. But so with these images, did you create these just for this book, or were these kind of created? at other times? Um, 
some of them are made specifically for the book. There's some stencil images. There's like a brochure page, and there's a couple. Of, there's um some pie charts and a few other things. Those are made specifically, and, and the actual stencil. Yeah, those are made specifically for the book. Um, the the image that you showed the um the gun and the megaphone. I actually created for a talk I was giving at the How Conference a couple years ago, and I was really I was talking about this subject matter it was just before the book was done, but um, but as as part of it, I was trying to really synthesize some of these ideas for a talk, and and I always would tell people about this idea I had, which was that um, designers have this incredibly powerful and invisible, mostly skill of of you know persuasion of you know convincing people to consume or to believe things. Uh, and that's that's pretty dangerous to have a power that that strong, especially to be an invisible person with that power. And so I thought about, well, who else kind of you know can can affect people in that way invisibly? Um, and and I thought of the, this idea that if if somebody came to you and said, "Here's all this money, and I want to, I want you to point this idea and, and and have it enter someone's head that that doesn't know you and and be affected by it," I, well, that sounds to me like a, a hired gun. I mean, it sounds like an assassin, right? I mean, you say. I want this person shot and I want, you know, and here's all this money and who cares? You just do it because you're good at shooting people and it sounds terrible. Um, and so the other version of it is like, well, what if you you sort of used your skill consciously and refused to, to be the assassin and, and instead was the megaphone, the person who could um, raise the voice of people who aren't heard currently. I mean, we live in such a visual din and, and it is difficult for people with good messages to get heard above the corporate noise that we mostly have going on around us and so you know when you when you're a socially conscious designer you're you're the person saying you know let me make a, a choice about whose voice i'm helping to elevate here let me let me raise the voice of people that make my community a better place and the world a better place but you know at, at the very least where i you know the community that they're located within a better place um that that's a worthy uh, use of your skill that you won't feel guilty about later and you won't feel like you have to make up for on the evenings and weekends um so that so that image <laughs> You know, my way of sort of synthesizing that idea. Um, and, you know, you, you always get people's attention when there's a big gun on something, so. <laughs> well, and I love the CMYK kind of, you know, yeah. it just reaches your audience really well. Yes, I am a so, designer at heart, yes. <laughs> so this is kind of what um, one of the, and I have another image of the making a difference and then sleep, but this is kind of the, background of that you don't because most of us feel like this and I don't know if you ever felt like this did you ever feel like it was like there was time for work and then there was time for making a difference and then you sleep I, I feel like that was the proposition that was offered me when I was leaving college I feel like people said to me okay now you know grow up don't 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 believe that this youthful idealism lasts <laughs> and and so my company was my way of, of like trying to solve this issue for myself was like I will I refuse to accept the chart like that um, and if you want to show the the, the alternate version yep. of the chart um, there it is yeah <laughs> I just realized you know I mean it's silly because obviously there, there's more to life but my point was that I didn't want to spend the evenings and weekends making up for the the weekday and and at best you end up at zero and most likely you end up at a negative place because you've done whatever all week and then you're trying your hardest to, to do some good but um it had to be po it, i just felt like it had to be possible to do it this way and, and i just made it up on my own but i felt like the book was the way to say well look you you don't have to reinvent this wheel like there there's some paths that you can choose to do this and it, obviously it's unique to each person uh that does it but ultimately it's um 
you know, I think it's just the fact, and I, somebody told me after I gave that talk at how that they just said, you know, it doesn't even matter what exactly you said. It was just the fact that you had done it. I mean, sometimes you just need to know that somebody else got it done and that it is possible. Because once you know it's possible, it's a lot less daunting. I mean, you know, to, to do the impossible is, is obviously a very scary prospect. Yeah. And so the book really goes through it. It really simplifies how to incorporate this as a designer into your life. And, you know, as I deal with students and as you deal with students, you know, how do you find, how do you teach the class and how do you, what, when a student has all these interests or we as designers have all these interests, how do you help them decide on a particular cause? Um, is there anything? The way I've structured the class, because again, I really want to respect people's personal beliefs, whatever they may be, so that they can come into my class and not feel like, well, he's going to be, you know, forcing us to believe X, Y, Z. And, you know, uh, there, there is definitely a spectrum. Um, and so I'm more interested in sort of saying, here's all this gray area you're going to encounter as a designer. You need to start making some choices about what you feel about this. Because I think mostly what happens is, is people get thrown into the working world and they've never been asked a question, is it okay to market XYZ? And so right. once I say to them, like, here's the issues. I mean, usually halfway through the class, people come back to me and are like, I don't know what to buy in the store anymore because everything's bad or <laughs> I don't, you know, I can't, I'm confused. And that's good. I mean, the point is I want you to make choices with consciousness, I, you know, want you with awareness. Um, but it can be super daunting at first. Um, and, and part of the class structure too is helping people sort of say, okay, well, now that you've seen all this, now start to drill down to the stuff, the issues that interest you. And everyone's allowed to bring proposals to the class of what to do with the second half of the semester, where it's basically, um, you know, your, uh, uh, your personal, you know, project that you're proposing. And then the class decides as a whole what to do. So what's cool about that is, is you get to see what people's interests are at that point and what the class as a whole can coalesce around. Uh, and, and there's never been a semester that, you know, we didn't find a few topics that everyone could agree on regardless of their background and interest. Um, and, you know, there, it's certainly self-selecting to some degree that you're going to be in a class called Design Rebels. But I almost always have somebody who's fairly uh, conservative or religious or something that's not necessarily what you expect of sort of a liberal lefty kind of class. And, um, and, and I feel like most of the time those people feel respected and that they've gotten to do something that they felt good about. Um, because I think people like seeing they can have an effect on their world, that they don't have to just go get a job and do whatever they're told. And, and the goal with the class, especially in, in the book is, as well, is just that you get on the other side and go, you know, it's possible to do this. It's not so, you know, I can see that I can make things happen in my world, even when they're just little, but that you, you can. And then once you do that, you can do another thing and another thing and another and another, and it adds up. And I, one of the quotes, it's is early on, it's on page 17, if you're following along, um, which I really like. It says, it just starts with a commitment to yourself and your values. So one, I think you have to understand your values, which I think in college people are kind of getting an idea of what maybe they're doing or who they are. Um, but I really like that. It's just, let's start again, start somewhere, but maybe that's where the writing down. It's like that, hey, I'm, this is important enough for me to write down. And yeah. I really just, that resonated with me, that um, small little thing. So maybe for people who don't know, um, what is socially conscious design? I think most people hopefully understand it, but can you give us kind of a little breeze through? Yeah, I mean, the way I define it, and, and it's interesting because I was having a conversation earlier about the sort of definition of these things. And 
And the person I was talking to was like, oh, what, you know, it's, it's, is design activism the same as socially conscious design? And to me it is, they're interchangeable. But what I mean by that, at least as a designer who runs a business is I'm making a choice about who I work for and how I do that work. And so they're the two big sort of pillars of that. And the, the who I work for piece is really like, you know, who's making a, a difference in their world? Who's making the world a better place? For me, it's a very open-ended thing. I've set up a, you know, a set of um, values that I have on my site and says, you know, here's my philosophy, here's what I'm willing to do and not do. Um, and then I stick with that. And so part of it is, is that I choose to work with people who make their world a better place, but that doesn't mean they have to be the crunchy granola, save the whales people. Uh, as much as I like those people, I wanna work with small businesses and people who do other good things uh, as well, or even people who don't realize they could do good in the world, but are certainly not making anything that's making it worse. I mean, I'm happy, you know, I still have to consume food and shoes and whatever in my life. So why not have those people doing it well too? Um, and it's an opportunity to educate, whereas the, the people that are already doing it um, usually are already aware of these issues. And, and part of our role as socially conscious designers is also education, is teaching other people about the fact that, look, I can make my work values ethics driven, you can too. And I had that happen where I was working with a client who was running a, a dating service. And, you know, I was like, well, they're not evil, but I don't really care about it, but whatever, you know, I'll, I'll do some design work for you. But in the process, they sort of discovered that they wanted to work ethically as well. They were like, I like what you're doing with your business. So they changed it from just a dating service to like a socially conscious dating service where they were doing events around their issues they cared about. And they raised money uh, for organizations through their dating service. So like just the mere fact of how I ran my business influenced how they ran theirs and in, you know, added to the, the positive good that was happening in the community. Um, so, so there's the who I work for part and then, and that's really a lot of the social cause stuff. And then the how I work part is the, you know, how do you produce the materials? Where do you produce them? That's obviously the reduce, reuse, recycle, environmental piece of it. Um, as well as, you know, do you work with a, a union uh, print shop? Do you uh, work with, you know, do you use stock photography that, that further stereotypes? I mean, there's a whole bunch of issues that you can apply to the, the how you work piece. So, it, so it's really the who you work with and how you work and making choices about both. Uh, and it's funny because people always ask me like, okay, well, so, so you make this commitment, doesn't that limit you? And I, what's interesting is I always find that I put myself into a niche that gives me, um, a better standing as a designer because now I'm the expert on this. I, I, I people come to me to have do this kind of work. I'm not sort of sorting out the the wheat from the chaff. I'm like, oh, you know, nobody's coming to me with these jobs that I don't want to do because they already know from the start I'm doing this kind of work. And so the people that like this kind of work come to me. And so um, the niche is a great place to be. It's much better than doing trying to do anything and everything for anyone at any price. It's not a good place to be as a designer. And so. Um, the, the socially conscious design thing um, can be pretty broad. I mean, my set of rules, like I say, allows me to work with a ton of clients. It's not like I'm limited uh, uh, very much, um, but certainly there are some people I will definitely not work with. And some ways I prefer not to work. And I, and I have opportunities to talk to my clients about that because I've already set myself up as someone working ethically. And I can say to them, I don't feel good about this choice or that you're asking for this to be done this way. Um, it's a conversation, I, I, you know, it's still not, there's still going to be compromise, but I, I have a chance to at least uh, educate that way. So you talk about having your own firm and you started it and, you know, and even you have a whole chapter in the book about going it alone. 
can you talk about that and what were some of the struggles that maybe because I mean as a designer just looking at from the outside I would think well how am I going to make any money and I understand you have a niche you know market but then how do you get out like how did you get your your voice out there and heard and then people started coming to you and and what were some of the struggles in the beginning I mean I think it's the same struggles anyone has with running their own business it's it's hard I mean I don't really recommend anybody try to go out of right out of school and start their own design firm um I mean, I guess you could. It's just that a lot of it is about developing relationships and it takes time. Um, so I was working full time for six years out of college and the entire time was freelancing and building this business up. And so I did what I could in-house, but my whole goal was I will get a company of my own and I would develop my freelance business the way I think anybody would, socially conscious or not, which was that I offered my services cheap and uh, sometimes free and, and to friends. But I always said to them, I made a caveat and I think anybody you know, that's doing this should do this, which is um, if I'm going to give you this work cheap or, or free, preferably just cheap, um, I need to do it my way. And my way is making something beautiful so I have a portfolio piece and making something good so that I feel good about the work I'm doing. And so, you know, here's this, this sort of like opportunity at the beginning to sort of start developing an idea and building it. And, you know, six years is not a huge amount of time to develop a business that I've been living on full time for, you know, a dozen years after that. So, you know, uh, it's hard, I think, when you're younger, that's that's very daunting. It seems like forever because your college experience is generally shorter than that. And so you're like, how could I spend six years doing not my passion? And, you know, I, I think part of it is that that was six years of extra education for me. I was learning about, you know, the, the world of the inside of the world of design from a couple different firms. But I was, you know, working freelance and building a business the whole time. Um, so, I mean, like I say, that's not specific to socially conscious design. I think that's just in general that, you know, you have to develop these relationships with people. That's where the work comes from. Uh, a lot of my work actually came from friends that I went to school with because I didn't study graphic design. I studied theater design. And so then the people I went to school with all became my uh, clients instead of my competition, which is a really good place to be. Uh, so <laughs> I, always, I always feel bad when I talk to college students or study graphic design because I'm like, look to your left and right. That's your competition. Good luck. You're going to graduate soon. Um, and that's hard. And so also, by, you know, if you're putting yourself out there as working from an ethical perspective, you're going to have a better um, chance of maybe getting work because you're going to stand out or even that you'll work with your friends instead of competing with them. You know? So that would also be a good reason to, to try to do it early on. Um, but, you know, when you set yourself up as an ethical designer from the beginning, and I think I'm seeing a little bit of this conversation on the side, but, you know, I just feel like it's better all around. When you set yourself up as, as somebody who works from their ethic, like you say, here's who I am. And then the work you get are people who are respecting that about you. And it's just better than trying to convince people you're whatever. And then once you're in a job, it's miserable because you're fighting against the fact that that's not who you are. And they're fighting against the fact that, like, you presented yourself as other and, and you actually do have these beliefs. Uh, I have a friend who works um, or did, she's freelance now or has her own company now, but she was working for a local design firm and she, she went ahead and said, look, I have some ethics. Uh, I won't work for these clients. And, and they had a, a big corporate client that she wouldn't work for. And she said, is that okay? And they said, yeah, your work is so good. We're willing to make this exception for you. So there's a reason also to do good work. Um, and they let her work there and not work with that one client because of her ethics. And she was willing to say that. And I think a lot of people would be afraid to say that. They would have been like, I guess I got to suck it up and do this or I'm going to get fired and the economy is bad. And it's like, I get you. But there's what happens when you put yourself out there, when you trust that and you're genuine and honest, like this is my passion. 
it's it's something and this is with any of the books i've done you know it's a lot of it is about passion because it it resonates with people when you're passionate about the things you do you do a better job at it other people see that they want to work with you and it's and, and so there's just a lot of benefit all the way around as opposed to like i'm going to do this just to make money which is is a very short-term happiness uh, as far as i can tell yeah seth godin talks about that and then i watched a ted talk recently um i can't think of the guy's name that doesn't not really helpful but he talked about that if you're going after your passion, if your passion is driving, the money will come. It's, it's, that's an end result. That's an automatic. But it's, if you're just going after the money, the, the journey is going to be more miserable because it's this constant fighting. And I mean, I have my own business and it is, it's hard, but I definitely think the best thing is networking. It's people, you know, it's, family, it's friends. If you're doing good work, people will believe in you. Even if you're doing bad work, a lot of times people still use you. But um, I have a friend who, another friend who wrote a book about just freelancing, even as a freshman, just to get, do stuff for, you know, a local dry cleaners or any, you know, something for free, just to get that client interaction from the beginning. And I think it's, it is, it's that networking. And if you're professional from the beginning, I tell my students, look around it's not just these people you're going to be um you know up against a job but these are going to be the people who are going to tell you if there's a job opening at their company and they might or might not want to work with you and they might or might not tell you that there's a job yeah. but yeah. you want to be the person that always has your stuff and that's always prepared that they'll be like hey i mean there's times when i can't do all the work i have so i have friends that are designers that i send the work to i farm stuff out just like everybody does but you know, I mean, these are the, the people around you. That network is really critical. And, you know, you talk about in, in the book being around other people maybe who are like-minded in the same kind of um, passion or they have kind of a mission field for in recycled cans or something. I don't know. It could be anything. But they don't all have to be designers, but they just have to want to be making the world a different place. And this is just your set of skills that you're able to to get out, I guess, I think is pretty neat, but I think it's really amazing that you're able to make a living from it. So one of my clients and one of my friends, Cindy Carter, she's down here. She um, has a dog, uh, day, doggy daycare and boarding and stuff like that. But she used to do, you know, automotive stuff. So it, it was like, she said a light bulb went off when somebody said doggy daycare. She's like, that's it. That's for me. And I think people will know, but she is making a difference in people yeah. who have dogs lives as well as in those dogs lives. And I think that that's, it's so critical. It doesn't have to be this huge, enormous, you know, you're going to be introduced to the president kind of thing. Right. It can just be. Yeah. And I think it's very clear in the book about that, that yeah, it's yeah. just a step. It's a step you take. So I think that's awesome. Um, I have a bunch more questions and I think we have a couple people who have some, but one of the, another, this is another image from the book. And this is, you started the book because you love this quote, I believe, right? Well, that's a quote that I had on my website for a long time and it just synthesizes um, my personal philosophy very well. Um, I, I think that you know, I mean, if you don't know who Howard Zinn is, um, of those of you who are watching, please uh, find out. He's amazing, was passed away recently, but uh, amazing 
uh, writer as well as teacher. Uh, he wrote the People's History of the United States, and uh, this was from his incredible autobiography about being an activist, which is, uh, it's called You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I just, you know, read his book. It's, it's amazing. And that quote comes from near the end of it. Um, but, you know, I think that that encompasses this idea I have, which is that, um, you know, life is short. Um, you want to make it a better place. You got to start now doing it however you can. Um, and, and, and believe that that just that alone is is making the difference. Um, just talking, you know, to other people about this concept early on, it sparked other things for me. And, 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 and the book sparks things. And every piece that I put out into the world uh, makes a difference. And keeping it to myself never does. And I always try to encourage people to share what they're doing, to be public about it, um, to, to, you know, talking about that fear piece earlier. I, it's huge. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how much we don't do uh, out of fear that someone's going to say no. And I have a big thing I talk about a lot lately is, is this idea of the unasked question. Like, what questions aren't you asking uh, in whatever aspect of your life? Because you think you know the answer is no. Because in reality, when I've been forced to ask those questions, um, the answer is actually almost always yes, or it's no but, and I've got an opportunity to do something else with it. And so I think with it, it comes to this stuff, especially, I think people just think, well, but I can't. I can't talk about my ethics or I can't put this out there. I'll never be able to make a living. And, right. and right. they, they shut themselves down when they believe that instead of trying it and finding out, you know, I mean, yes, you may fail, but maybe you won't. And, and so what if you fail? What's the actual, you know, um, uh, repercussions of that? Usually it's not much of anything. If you, you know, like usually nobody cares uh, as much as you think they're going to. And in fact, you're most likely going to have something good come from it, even if it's a, even if it's a failure. Um, I think so that's riding the fence. I, yeah, I mean, Isn't so that quote. I mean, anyway, yeah. So Howard Zinn. I mean, he, he, that that's a quote that it just really moves me, and I always like to share it when I talk. Uh, whenever I give a talk, I show that before I start. So this is something that I talked to you about last time, but I really like this, so I'm going to ask you again. Um, it's this piece where you. This is from Skull a Day, and yeah. talk about. You said just ask. And you, yeah, can you tell, tell this story, how you made this skull? That's actually the image I show when I tell that story about asking the question, oh. because, um, so that's, that's a good call. Um, so, you know, I did this project, Skull a Day. I made a skull every single day for a year. It was an incredibly overwhelming project, but a lot of really good came out of it. And um, one of the big lessons for, for me was that, um, you know, th this question asking piece and this willingness to kind of make a fool out of myself, and, and that when I did, and I, you know, for in that instance, my, the video store that I went to all the time and showed up and they had, you know, uh, I was looking over the counter and saw this grid of DVDs in, uh, in the store that were black and white. And I thought, well, that's just a giant pixelated screen. I can just, you know, make a skull out of these pixels of that are just elongated, right? They're long, thin DVD cases. Uh, and so I just said, you know, can I jump over your counter and rearrange all the DVDs in your store? And, and, and they said, yes. I mean, who would ask that? You know, I, that's a crazy question to ask. And, and I, I never would have asked it had I not felt like I had to because I had to get this crazy project done. But, but by getting over that fear, I had a really cool, fun experience working with the, my friend who worked there. Um, the, the owner really liked it. They use that picture to this day on their Facebook page. I mean, so that actually did something for them, and I was needing it for myself. And, and that's a cool thing to discover, too, is that when I did things I wanted to do that I was passionate about, other people benefited from it as well. And that, I think that relates back, again, to this book, is that, you know, when you do the things you believe in and you're passionate about, like it does have a better effect and more of an effect. 
for sure. And I, I think most of the time people will want to help. They want to be a part of something they want to connect. So I, there's so many things like this. I, you know, with this book, we talked about it last time, but you learned a lot of new skills. You talked, um, you didn't do, I mean, you did one a day, but you had some that you had to plan. So there was some planning that went into it. Some took more time, some didn't. You would do those, you know, on the weekend or something. It wasn't always, you know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm in the video store. I haven't made my skull yet. I gotta, can I jump by on the counter? But I think just asking, and I think that incorporating people in it, you know, having them be a part of it, really, I think for any business um, is is really important and helps. So I think and if you're in a company and you say, hey, I don't want to do that, then at least it lets people know you're not riding the fence. And I mean, you don't want to say no to everything, but. Right. But I mean, people and, and you know, I've seen some comments on the side about this and, and, and you know, collaboration is a huge aspect of what I learned with my project. And I think when you look at a lot of these projects, there is a lot of collaborative work done in here. And, and the fact that like when you put things into the world, like people do get enthusiastic and want to support you, and want to participate, want to help, want to make, you know, something you're passionate about happen. And, and so that's another piece of that. Like, not only do you get over the sphere and try it and put it out in the world, but then you do get the people who want to come back and then help you make it happen, manifest it. Um, and it gets done better and, and bigger and faster when there's other people involved. And for sure, especially with this, the ethics piece of it, issues, you know, you will find people who believe like you do, and those people will help you do what you want to do to make the world better and to do your, do better work. Uh, that you're doing better with the you know in the world with. So you, I mean, there's tons of stuff. I mean, people there. You talk about if you can't find a group that already does this, you could write a grant or um, even do a Kickstarter. And can you talk about that a little bit about just finding your own place for your vision? Yeah. So I mean, the three tracks we talk about in the book are the sort of you know you can you can start your own business and and have your clients and be a socially conscious designer. You can you know, work in the corporate world or in the, you know, in a business and corporate doesn't have to be giant corporation, but that, you know, work for someone else and, and change things from within. And I, and I, we really emphasize that's a third of, you know, basically of the, of the book, because it's a, one of the three paths. Um, so I don't want to de-emphasize that that's one of the you know, very valid way for people to make a difference is to make a difference where they are currently. But the third path is, is this idea that maybe you don't need clients and maybe you don't need to work for other people. Um, and maybe you just the good ideas you have, maybe you just manifest them straight at you know, straight ahead. And that sometimes it's better than trying to like hope for a client to show up and say, give you a cool project because we've got good ideas. We're creative people. I mean, you know, designers are creative problem thinkers. And so if we're like problem solvers, so, if, you know, if you've got a good idea, maybe with the tools today, which are so accessible and, and great that, that maybe you just make it then don't bother waiting for other people. So you just go ahead and, and say, here's the, you know, here's this idea world, help me out, make this. I'm, I'm a designer, so it's going to look good. And I know how to communicate and share it. Um, and, and several of the people we, we feature in the book just realized that, that they didn't need to wait for somebody else to come along or someone to give them money in advance. They could generate that money using the Kickstarter tool or the Indiegogo tool. Um, so it's cool because I, I've been doing that myself. I mean, as much as I've been doing the graphic design, running a business piece, I'm also doing the now, the self-starter projects, the things like the books, where it's like, I don't have a client anymore. That's just me putting the stuff into the world directly and having that one-to-one -one connection, but still using my design skills. Definitely. So this is, I cannot find this, but this is kind of um, another piece from this book, but it also pulls in that skull a day. And you actually got a 
this was a self-initiated project and you ended yep. up getting a ton of work from doing it, but you published it. And I asked you last time, I said, well, how did you get so, how did you get it out? You know, cause a lot of times it's just getting that, those people to get your message out there, show your images. And I think you said you, you got some friends and you got a hundred people or 50 people or something like that. And they posted. So can you talk about that and just what this one project self-initiated did for your business? It, it, gosh, it's so huge. Um, so, you know, it started out, I just did it by myself and I told a hundred friends and then it spread as things do through the internet and got really, really big, really fast. Um, and the, the sort of other side of it is that, well, several big things. One big thing was that I was a designer who made art, but people didn't think of me as an artist. And I was able to flip that understanding to see that I was an artist who happened to have design skills, which allowed me to charge more for the work I was doing because now I was more of a valuable commodity instead of being just a designer who pushes pixels around. He's, oh, I want to hire Noah to do this because he can make artwork. Um, I made better work because the clients could see what I was capable of. They only knew what I'd already done, but now I could show them all this work. So it was like, here's this, you know, actual set of skills I'm showing you. I've done first drafts of everything. So, hey, let me make a, you know, a, a flower petal portrait for you. Here's an example of how I've done this before. So there wasn't a risk of like, well, you've never done it. So I don't know if you can do it for us. Um, so that was huge. Um, so the clients let me do better work. I got to do better work that I liked doing. So it was more fun for me and the end result was better. Um, I ended up with a body of licensable work. So then even the things I already had, I could start just selling directly as my illustration work and did. It ended up on magazine covers and book covers. So that work just exists as a body. Um, and then it also allowed me to start showing my art in galleries in a bigger way, um, which allowed me to raise my profile. It got me the book deal, which then led to me having the the first book was the Skulls book, and then 365 came from that, then Unstuck came from that. I travel the world now giving talks about creativity and inspiration because of the project. And so it's like, you know, an income stream that I never even imagined came from that. And I'm still reaching people with this concept of, of doing things you're passionate about, affecting the world in positive ways. It's not always graphic design specific, but this idea of what, you know, how can you affect the world and do the things you love. Um, because of this project. I mean, and that's just one set. I mean, I, I, I also um, just recently was in New York and I got asked to speak uh, at a school out in East New York, which is a kind of a rough area of Brooklyn. And it's a school for incarcerated teenagers. And they, the, the librarian there knew about my project and book and asked me to come there. And I, I was talking to a group of, you know, very rowdy teenagers who generally are not happy about the situation they're in. They, they, they obviously ended up in some bad place where they're going through the court system in New York. And three slides into my talk, this rowdy group became, you know, just completely silent and focused and attentive and asked appropriate questions and were enthusiastic and interested. And I was like, this is amazing that I'm reaching these kids with this, you know, what I call my silly project, because it was just me making skulls. And, and yet here now is an impact. Here's some teenagers maybe seeing that life, you could do something else with your life. Maybe you can be creative and have an impact in a different way. Uh, maybe you can express yourself in a way. And, and we ended up doing a, a craft project together. Again, I was like, oh, this is a really rowdy group. I don't know if they can handle this. We're asking them to make crafts. And we gave them some random junk. And, and I said, look, the only rule is make a skull, go. And again, they start out rowdy, but then they focused in and every single kid in the room made an original piece of art. And at the end, they started, like, they saw I was taking some photos of them and they said, oh, take a photo of mine. And they said, um, I was gonna autograph the books for them. And they were like, I want to autograph my art for you. I was like, yes, do that, you know? And so I hear these kids feeling proud of this work that they created, proud enough they wanted to sign it and wanted me to photograph it and share it on my website because they knew I was going to do that. And so 
you know, here's this relationship that alone that you can negate every other thing I just said, that is enough of an outcome for doing my project that I could ever expect. I mean, that that's beyond belief. Um, and I feel like, you know, the funny thing about the skull project is that, you know, I was trying to affect the world with socially conscious design and doing my business this way. And then I just did the skull project and I still affected the world in the way I wanted to affect it. So it didn't even matter that it wasn't socially conscious graphic design, my career path, it was some other thing. But again, because I put myself out there passionately and honestly, the repercussions still happen. The, the, the positive stuff still came into the world and made a difference. And I think another thing, there's two things I think that this project did for an outsider. One, if you had done this, just this project, yes, it would have helped your creativity, but you put yourself on the line by sharing it, which is can be iffy and you get feedback or whatever. But the other thing I think is so great, you created a community. There is a skull a day. People can submit. I have my submission. I have it down there, so I'll show you. I'm sh I think I sent it to you in an email over the summer. But but I just think it's like all it is is looking for something. And because I think I had taken this picture very soon after we talked, um, it was like I found, so this is the big image. It was a, uh, I don't know, can you see the skull on the back of his head? So I have a zoomed in, but to me it was like we had been talking, and I'm not a big skull person, but I was like, wow, I started seeing things, other things, and I think that is a huge, um, you know, lesson you can give lots of people is just looking at your world. You're sometimes too close, so if you, if somebody tells you something, if you just start looking in new ways for something, even if it's not something you're really into. So there's my skull a day, Noah. Well, you know, that's another aspect of living with awareness, right? I mean, the socially conscious piece, to bring it back, because I feel like we were sort of veered off into this skull a day world, but um, the, the, the socially conscious piece of that is that, you know, I, I'm really interested in people living with, with an awareness of their world, making conscious, intentional choices. And so in the same sense that if you're not aware of your world, you can't do that. And so what can you do to, to, to make you live more presently, more fully? Um, and so for me, that project was a way to do that, to live fully each day and really be aware of my world more. Um, I want to live that way. And that, and when you do live that way, I think you inevitably do want to, 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 you appreciate the world more and you want to make it a better place for yourself and other people. Well, and I even, I like this. So the, it, throughout the book, there's all these um, kind of like design rebel and they're always blue. Um, but I really like that you know, for the Listerine, and then there's another one in there about Band-Aids, but can you just talk about, like, what this project, so we we all hopefully know what Listerine is, but right. can you talk about that? Well, I mean, what happened is we were talking with this designer, we were looking for someone in the corporate world to talk to, and it's interesting, because again, there's definitely this, like, I think, you know, when I'm presenting this as an activist thing, it's weird that there's a section about corporate work, but the point was that, you know, here's a designer who wanted to do good, and he was able to um, make choices with his skills that allowed um, the packaging to use a lot less material. And so he's basically, you know, making a huge environmental impact. Um, look, they're not going to stop making Listerine anytime soon. So either they're going to make it well or they're going to make it bad. I mean, so the choice there was that at least there was a designer who said, let's uh, make this in a way that, that reduces the amount of plastic used. It'll save money for the company. So they're going to like it, but it's going to save the, the waste and the production materials on both ends uh, in the process. And that stuff is huge. And, and it's hard because I think, again, you know, for me, um, 
you know, I know there's a certain activist set who's going to be frustrated that this stuff is in the book. And on the other hand, I want the people who aren't truly activists to be um, interested in uh, the fact that it is doable at a variety of levels. And so I really wanted this broad spectrum in the book. And so something like that, you know, it's, it's weird for me personally, I have Listerine in my book, I'm not advertising for them, but I am advertising for the fact that this designer um, could make an impact and could make a huge impact with the choices he made. You, you affect the things you can affect, right? You, you, the people you can talk to, the, 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 the work that you can work on. And so that's what you work on. That's what you do. Um, so is that what you wanted to talk about with that piece? Yes. So it's just you can make changes even if you're in corporate or if you're wherever. And you and should. It was just about packaging. Exactly. Yeah, and I said, you know, one of the things I say in the book is that there's a real, um, uh, there's a real thing about about you know trying to change from the outside of, of the corporate world like make the world a better place but they have so much power and so much money that if they don't change it's not it's it's a one-sided thing and so when the people that work inside make differences and then the people outside make differences I, you know my metaphor is that there's a wall and if we work at the wall from the outside it's going to come down eventually work at it from the inside will come down eventually but if we both work at it it'll come down a lot faster and that's the thing is if we got the, our, our allies on the inside and our allies on the outside, we're both working at destroying this this old way of doing things. Um, it's gonna it's gonna happen faster. The world's gonna change sooner. Um, so so we need those people doing that. And 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 the reality is a lot of people do have corporate jobs. And you know again, not necessarily. I'm not saying Fortune 500 corporate, but just corp. You know, business. I mean, people work in jobs. I mean, you got to do that. So um, if those people feel empowered to make a difference at their jobs, that's that's huge. So this is just kind of another, um, a very famous designer who has made all kinds of great. Um, See, I countered my Listerine image by having that uh, bush skull and crossbones. Yeah. You got another skull in there. Um, but I really like that there are these little, these little bits. So the book's really, it's really effective. It's really well written and it was easy for me to just, like you can read through it, and sometimes design books aren't always as easy to read. Yeah. So um, kudos to you and Michelle for that. So this is another kind of area uh, where you have this kind of your time to actually put into the book. So you want to talk about this part? Well, so it was really important to us that people, again, that they use this book and that obviously at the end of each chapter, there's a chance to sort of assess and make notes, but that at the end, we're like, look, it doesn't end by by closing the book, it ends by you manifesting this somehow in your life. And so let's give you some really clear um, checklists, some things to think about, some some processes to go through to kind of start to define how you could do this in your life in a practical way. And so that's really what that chunk of it is at the end of the book is just like, okay, start, you know, listing the things that you are passionate about, list the things that, you know, how do you want to work? What, what, well, how much money do you need to make to make this a realistic choice for your life? Um, a lot of times when I give a talk about socially conscious design uh, to college students, they were always like, I want to do this. How do you do this? And I said, well, it's totally doable, um, but you got to know my lifestyle is very specific. Like I live somewhere that's affordable to live. I, I don't own a car, uh, so I don't have a lot of debt. Um, so I can I can make a lot of choices. If you're going to have three cars and five kids and a mansion, I mean, it's going to be a hard life for you. You're going to have to make other choices. Um, but I don't feel like I, the choice I made have made me live any less um, happily. I mean, I'm, I'm, I do exactly what I want all the time and I travel and I eat good food and I'm completely happy. 
Um, but I, I've made a set of choices that allow me to do work this way. And so part of it is that assessment of like, you know, what do you really need to make sure it's a, a, a practical choice for you? Because it should be practical. Definitely. So we are almost out of time, but I want to pull up some, here is, and I don't know if it'll stay as a um, link, it'll come up as a link under here, or, um, cool, uh, Carlton or Charlton, uh, you inspira inspired him to, that's cool. I'd have to say hi so, to my friend, who's in Mexico, who's uh, commenting over there too, that's very exciting that she's uh, watching. That's cool. So this is how, I guess, an Amazon link looks. So you can actually, um, you should be able to click more about this product and you can actually go and that's how much it is today. Um, and then let's see the other books I'm just going to pull up too, which I thought was kind of neat that I could actually put them on the screen like this. This is the 365 and then I have the unstuck as well. So, um, and these will all be in the recording. Sorry, go ahead. And of course, I recommend you get them from your local independent bookstore if you have one anymore. Um, and if you can, um, obviously, any way you buy it is wonderful. But uh, certainly, I like to support the small local bookstores if they exist still in your community. So, And there are lots of used bookstores even on Amazon, which usually helps the lo lo smaller guy, hopefully, sometimes. But this is um, how to get in contact. This is Noah's design firm. And this is Noah's Twitter handle. Oh, thank you for including that. Is there anything else you want to include on that? I'm, yeah, um, we, you can reach me through those sites pretty easily. Um, and I think there's a Skull-A-Day Facebook page. I mean, maybe? you can go to skulladay.com if you want to look at the project and if you want to connect. I mean, there is a Facebook page for that as well. Um, and a Twitter feed. I mean, Google it. I'm sure you'll find it. Well, Noah, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you coming back on the show, and I hope that you guys all pick up this book and really make a difference in your world. It's This book really helped me to realize that there are simple things that I could do that can make a difference, and it can make a difference in my client's world as well. So it's not just in my direct you know, people I encounter, but it's also the way we do design and and how we do that. So I think it's it's a great book. I totally recommend you all getting one. Um, this is how you can get in touch with me at designrecharge.org. We will be doing um, some overhaul and uh, by March, hopefully we'll have our new site up. And then if you have a question or a comment or you want, I had somebody email me this week said they wanted a topic on a specific you know, show to be about a specific topic. So feel free or you can get connected with me on Facebook. And then here's my two Twitter handles. One's just Design Recharge, but it's still me. And then D Diane Gibbs AU. So Noah, thank you so much. And I hope that you had fun and I hope you'll come back again and, and do it again. But thank yep. you for making a difference, hopefully today in many people's lives, so. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be able to come back on here. Well, thanks Noah. And thanks everybody for coming. And we are here every week on Wednesdays at uh, 2.30 Eastern Time. So join us back here next week. We're talking about design and writing and writing for design. So we'll see you back next week. Thanks so much, Noah. Bye. Bye, guys.